Okay, you've entered into the hamlet of Yorby, the home of the Fiddler's Three. Upon arrival, you pass a beggar on the side of the road. Ooh, all right. I'm going to cast... Fireball? It, it's fireball, isn't it? Well, of course. It's the best spell. From how you've been playing, I guess it's your only spell. Well, it is the only spell that matters. I cast fireball. In this episode of Becoming DM, we continue our discussion on getting unstuck. Let's go ahead and join the conversation already in progress. Another, so just moving away from like the, the big bad guy, unless you have more big bad no, guys. No, go right stuff. ahead. Um, there's also, and I feel like I don't use, utilize this one enough, is the environment itself, right? So... Mm-hmm. Mother Nature, like, I know I'm scared of Mother Nature, me. I mean, I don't have magic, but with tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes, all of these things can happen naturally, for the most part, anywhere in the world at any given time. I mean, unless you have already sketched in, like, where your personal world's tectonic plates actually collide, um, this can literally happen anywhere for like volcanoes and earthquakes and you don't well, have to oh yeah i was gonna say and to be clear we're, we we mentioned some extremes of mother nature but but oh, even yeah. even smaller changes like a, a a thunderstorm with heavy pouring rain can can cause a change in your setting without uh the effects of dodging lava <laughs> uh, but you can also you can also build in mechanics to some of these changes uh had a had a game i had a session with my pathfinder game where where it was raining so hard that uh every time that they tried to do like a ranged weapon attack on someone they were they were at a at a negative penalty i think it was negative five penalty because it was hard to see their target the they had to account for all this heavy pouring rain and stuff and and so as a result they had a they had a minus to that and their perception checks had a had uh had a minus to them so in addition to changing the setting itself you can also change the mechanics with the setting just to make it to drive home a little more that this is this is different than you're used to dealing with yeah and it just adds that that touch of flavor it's like adding salt to a dish, right? It's just a yep. little bit, little bit of something, something. Um, the thing that I like about bringing in Mother Nature and and the impacts that she can have is that sometimes your BBEG cannot, you he just can't like ma- materialize, um, you know, stuff in the forest, right? Yep. He's somewhere else. He's doing something else. It doesn't make sense to your story, and it's just you would have to do a lot of wrenching to make it work. But there, there's other options. You could just, you know, have have the environment itself um, cause cause havoc, or just cause detriment, or just cause um, a general change in scenery. While there's still trees everywhere, like you said, that heavy rain. We've added in new mechanics. We've changed how they're interacting with the world, and uh, it it can add just that that little bit of flavor. And you don't have to rework your entire storyline to do it. And you can make it come and go as necessary. So from a flavor perspective, you may want it to be pouring down rain for an extended period of time. 
but you might also just from a story perspective want to signify something happening and so it comes through it's it's horrible for a short period of time and then it's gone and and both of those can have an impact to how how the players are interacting with the setting and, and how they feel about the setting when you when, when you do it either way mm-hmm most certainly I, I love it I love that stuff um there's another one, and uh, I like this one too. Um, so we talked about, you know, the 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 end quest, the environment, but the environment holds uh, people, and those people have cultures, right? And people are doing stuff too. It's hard. I mean, I I feel like when you get too into what the NPCs are doing, uh, things can get extra complicated from where they usually are. Mm-hmm. But I also think that they're really interesting things to throw in there. So say you have your party marching through yet again another forest, right? You can have mass migrations of people, <coughs> right? So say something like, you know, two counties over or whatever, there was this flash flood, it caused a landslide, this village got kind of like wiped out, and all of these people are just moving. And so they have, they encounter this like moving, walking village through the Mm -hmm. forest. And there's all these people that they can interact with. They might not be able to buy like the best gear from them. It's not like they're packing a forge with them, but lots of, lots of interesting things and interactions you can do. Not to mention just generally surprising your party. Yeah. And, and the reason that these people are there are going to change the impact that they have on the setting, the ways that your your characters will be able to interact with them. So if you've got, for instance, an army that's marching that may be marching the same direction as your party or even in the opposite direction, maybe they try to um, conscript them into the army, conscript the party into the army and force them to, to serve. Or maybe they've got rumors about what's going on back at home or, or, or something else. And or or if they're if they're refugees from a village burning down or as I did at the beginning of my Pathfinder game, they were mixed in with a bunch of refugees from war heading south from uh, from the front. And all of those different kinds of people are going to have a different impact, a different flavor to it. So you can really change it to the needs of your game uh, you can't change it once you've implemented it, really, because <laughs> they're there and they're not just going to magically change from refugees to soldiers. But uh, you can you can set it up in the way that, that makes the most sense to your game. Mm-hmm. Just something to to cause a difference, really, is what it is. Um, I, I think a fun one is uh, just for that sense of 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 difference and and adjusting the setting you can have a religious or uh like a religious shift so they're moving from one area where everybody's i don't know i can't remember most of the names of of the the entire pantheon right i but make so, up my pantheon usually so my my see, i would not be helpful here <laughs> yeah and i've always made up my pantheon i have i've I don't really know the names of the of the gods of Greyhawk kind of thing. Right. Uh, so anyways, you've got, you know, God A or Deity A that everybody's, you know, super into. Yay, go Deity A. But as you move north, you find a bunch of these people are into Deity B. Again, with with you're just using the culture of the towns that they move through to, to kind of shift the setting, make it more interesting. And maybe this is, uh, they have, you know, customs and... and 
practices that are abnormal and interesting, and you can play those off in, again, your forest, right? They can come upon different things that are happening that seem weird to them, and just put little interesting tidbits here and there, just pepper them in. I think the other thing to consider when talking about changing up your your setting some are events. And we, we've talked a little bit about events with the migration of people and stuff like that. But I'm thinking like magical or geologic, geological shifts. So uh, in the D&D game that I'm running right now, I, I think I've, I've talked about it a couple of times. The party is on this on this island. And if certain things happen, uh, which the party is currently doing and unaware of what the what the end results are, uh, then it could cause the the island to no longer be an island, but to actually move and collide with another landmass and become part of that landmass. Which <laughs> which means that instead of this fairly homogenous uh, island setting where where most of the 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 scene is the same way, they'll now have this very different ecosystem that they can explore. And and I, I kind of built it that way on purpose so that I would force myself out of the this is how it is and, and it's how it always is and and give them the opportunity advantage to go into this very different uh, different area. It's a it's a fun idea. And uh I really like that. Um so basically what what you've got is like a, a land ship. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Right. So is it is it floating on water or air? Uh it is on water. Yeah. It's on water? Okay. It seems like just a normal island. Uh and 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 what happens through the quest is they're they're releasing kind of the tethers to the to the seabed um that will eventually like there's this kind of natural attraction between the land masses to to come together. So oh, fun. Um so yeah, I guess that that's it's basically you're changing the scenery by use of like just transportation essentially, right? Because sort it, of. it's um I it's a fun way to do it though. I like that. That's very cool. <laughs> uh, it's but, way but better you can than also... just like a regular boat. <laughs> well, you can also use regular transportation to to have a change in the scenery now that it's we're talking not about transportation. Nearly as fun. <laughs> All ships um, are now land ships. <laughs> but you could do like like boats or horses, magical portals, stuff like that. And the key thing to remember is that this transport transportation can be voluntary where the where the players are making the decisions or involuntary where they've been knocked out, uh captured, um, kidnapped, whatever, and transported somewhere against their will. And so if you really need a quick change without having to explain that, yes, the scenery is way different here. I know you just got on a horse. You can you can have them be kidnapped and, and have it very, be very quick without having to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. I fixed it. All right, so that's that's uninspired settings, but so that's that's like the setting, the world that you're in. But what about the the story itself? Like, so stories have arcs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I usually go with the three arc structure. I feel like uh, that's just what I do. Anyways, um, so problems with with your story arc. Uh, I think first one easy easy one is uh the arc is passing too quickly and you're like oh no this is happening too fast that's a really easy resolution right add in a few side quests or secretly move the objective and this has been done before i'm sorry 
but the princess is in another castle. Like, oh, I know. Oh, shut I know. Up, a, Toad. Shut I know up, Toad. a couple people groaned when I said that. <laughs> They're like, "Oh yeah, that's just." <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh, no." But uh, and you can do it too. Fun fact: you can just, you can just, you can just put that princess in a different castle, and uh, and boom, your arc just got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think that on the on the opposite side of that is your art could be moving too slowly. And what I have found is that when I build out story arcs that maybe I have, I, I almost intentionally put in too many stops for the purpose of if it's just moving too slowly, I just pull those stops out. Um, doesn't always happen, but but when it does, it's it's a very easy thing for me to do because I've built it to where it, there there's kind of a planned points where I can just pull them out and say, yep, we're not doing that. Uh, what are some other ways that we can we can make it move faster when maybe it's moving too slowly? So other than other than just I, I really like your idea because you you've basically pre-built your your cut points. It's like mm-hmm. it's like getting a children's arts and crafts with the dotted lines and like the little pictures of the scissors on it. Eh, cut here, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Whereas if if you don't have that stuff pre-planned in, then you kind of have to dig through it and find out what's not game breaking to remove what you can fast track what you can you know move into different areas maybe push the party along in a in a secret way to get them through it faster um but another one is uh, and this is a fun one just ask the players what they think so is this is the arc passing too slowly is are, are you feeling that it's passing too slowly right are you struggling with it or is, or are, are your players, right? Cause if you ask your players, you're like, Hey, you know, just have a nice conversation with them. Be like, how are you guys feeling? How are you guys feeling about the, about the, the pacing that we've got going here? And if everybody at the table's like, Oh, it's just dragging. It's so slow. We want to move forward. Then yeah, let's, let's maybe take a look at cutting things. But sometimes people can, can be like, Oh no, like, I mean, yeah, we're not making that much progress, but I really want to see where it goes. And, and they're really excited about all the different things that they're doing. Then that might just be you getting like a little bit of that, um, possibly a little bit of like imposter syndrome or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like not feeling super confident in what's happening, or maybe you're just getting bored with it because you really want to see that end result. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's important to, ask your players pretty consistently throughout your game and, and not like every five minutes, like, Hey, everybody doing okay. Everybody doing okay. But I typically at the end of every session, just have a quick sanity check. Hey, what did everybody think about the session today? Um, uh, any thoughts, any, any suggestions? And a lot of times I get, yeah, it was great. It was great. But, but there've been, there've been a couple of times where I thought that things weren't going well. And I had a player answer like, Oh, that was so awesome, and and blah blah blah. I was like, oh, well, I guess I guess it was going uh, going well. And the other reason to do it is because the opposite can happen. If you think it's going really well, <laughs> and 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 you ask, and the players are like, yeah, this is like I don't know what you were thinking here, uh, but this isn't good. Obviously, they're probably going to be a little bit nicer than that, but but. <laughs> If you're not, if you're only asking when you think things are going wrong, then you might be missing something that the players are just not enjoying. That's a that's a really good point because you can't catch everything. Yep. 
you know. And if it's if it's the other side of it, if it's on your side of the screen, if you're using a screen, call back. Um, <laughs> right? If uh, if it's on your side of the screen, is there a way that you can make it more interesting for yourself? Right. So I've got a very specific example for this one. I I personally was struggling with where my party was and what they were doing. I, I, I had a talk with them and they're all like, yeah, we're super jazzed about this. And for some reason, I wasn't bought into it, right? Mm-hmm. I, it, I think it's because I'm super excited about the end and I really want them to get there. But we, we, <laughs> we got to take all the steps to go there because they're enjoying themselves. And I got too excited about it. And, uh, and then I started feeling like it was dragging. And so I just made it more interesting for myself. And I, I, I don't know if this is how other people end up doing it, but this is what I did. I just tossed in some goblins. I was like, boom, you ran into a bunch of tiny goblins. My party is level nine, right? Level nine and level 10. Like they're high end, high level. And these are just low level little goblins running around. They were lost. And, uh, for me, and I'm not recommending everybody just toss some goblins into your campaign. But for me, I knew that I would have fun getting a chance to like role play the goblins and, and just messing around with them a little bit while the party was doing their like more important things. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it very, very much helped me. So were they really actually tiny goblins or were you just using that to describe the fact that they were goblins? I was just using that to describe the fact that they were goblins. Oh, I was kind of <laughs> hoping that they were tiny goblins. Now that you've pointed that out, I wholeheartedly regret not making them tiny goblins. <laughs> there's there's always the next time. <laughs> there's always the next time. More lost goblins. Yeah, I, I do think that I do think that as you as you identify a a problem where where you feel like on your side that you just aren't aren't bought in but everybody else is that's the, you're, there's actually all sorts of opportunities for you to do things just to make it more fun like maybe you really enjoy doing goofy voices okay well let's introduce some npcs that have goofy voices that can inter- interact with the player some and maybe that just gets you enough energy to 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 do something maybe you like um like really intricate spooky descriptions of things we'll add add it in obviously where it makes sense don't just add stuff in where like like oh the the mailbox is spooky and filled <laughs> with dark energy uh, <laughs> unless it makes sense to have a mailbox filled with dark energy i mean that that's possible right <laughs> i i actually think that that's hilarious to just describe <laughs> just choose one arbitrary thing in a whole village and just describe it very spooky like covered in cobwebs and you get a shady feeling from it and then just watch the whole party just like avoid it and it's I was going to say this... that that could basically make your entire session focus on that area. <laughs> oh, it absolutely could. And and they do all these investigations and it's just a mailbox that no one's touched in years because like out of sign of respect for somebody who passed or just something just silly. Um, definitely would want to be careful with that. But I also currently think it's hilarious. <laughs> Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, 
you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a, a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so we've talked about um, your story and quests uh, potentially being a drag. We've talked about um, your uh, setting uh, maybe being uninspired, about arcs having issues of being too fast or too slow. Uh, what's the next thing that we're going to focus on? I think just general gameplay. Yeah? It, it, that happens, right? Actually, that's... Certainly. Uh, it's happened so much. So I think uh, I think a common place for gameplay to drag is during combat. Oh um, yes, <laughs> oh, it can it can get pretty rough. Um, I have to pay super close attention to combat in my game. I've got I currently have seven players at my table, which is too many, and uh, I have to be so careful with combat. Otherwise, it's just. It's just really bad. And so I put a lot of time and effort into figuring out how to kind of streamline my process. So even if I've only got like a small number of bad guys, for the most part, like I don't roll like um, individual initiatives. I just, my guys have one initiative. All my guys go on the same turn. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got everything pre-sorted out before, before things are happening. I, everything's written down. All of my hit points is... ACs, it's all pre-written out so that I just I just run it and I've found all these little places to kind of like cut the fat to just keep everything moving. Because, uh, yeah, because that's, that's a lot of turns. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think from my perspective, one of the one of the one of the best ways to streamline combat is actually around player turns and and having a time limit there. And we've, I think we may have talked on the show before about using a, an actual timer for players, uh, having, having some sort of other, other way to, to basically denote that this is the start and the beginning of uh, the beginning and the end of your turn so that, that you, you don't end up spending 10 minutes on each player's turn, because that means that if you've got seven players it's over an hour for a round, um, yeah, which is it's... just not doable. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I think a turn timer in combination with what you have on on your DM screen, which we talked about last episode, of of the uh, initiative tracker, so people can see where they are in the initiative stack and and hopefully plan their their move and understand that like oh Bob goes now, I go next, so I need to be ready. Uh, that I think can all help with with shortening the players' turns and reducing some of that drag. Yeah, like I bought a, a three minute sand timer, and uh, when I when I'm paying attention to it, when I'm particularly worried about it, that three minute sand timer that comes in handy. And three minutes sounds like a long time um, before you flip it and somebody's trying to figure out what spell they're casting. <laughs> 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 it's uh, it goes very very fast. Um, otherwise, if, if the combat's not dragging from, from like a specific 
time perspective, right? So if it's not just because player turns are taking a long time or you, you're you working on, through your process of setting up the monsters and taking your own turns, um, if it's dragging just because it's not that interesting of combat, uh, we did do an episode on that. It's called, I believe it's called Making Combat More Interesting, episode 76. Yep, becomingdm.com slash EP76 for those wanting to get there quickly. Perfect. Um, and that that is chock full of a whole bunch of ideas to, to, to make things, to spice things up just a little bit in the pointy stick area. Yeah, and I think that... I think that taking some of those into your game don't don't implement all of them at once, but but taking <laughs> taking some of those into your game and just making it a little bit more interesting than just I swing and I hit, I swing and I hit. Oh, I got damage. Um, that takes a lot of the drag out of it. And and even if you've got your turn taking longer, the player's turn taking a little longer. If you're adding in components that are interesting, it can make a lot of that kind of go away as a concern because everybody's having fun. Everybody's like excited about what's going on. Yes, absolutely. You got to just kind of build it in slowly. Otherwise you can overwhelm yourself or, uh, and we talked about it before. If you try to implement too many things at once, you do that. You jump into that fun burnout zone, right? Yep. Yeah, you do too much at once. You 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 start having drag the other way. You have too many interesting things to look at, too many things you're describing, and and it it will it will actually slow down combat, um, and and it will be too many things for it to be exciting and interesting and unique. Yeah, you just got to You just want it a little bit spicy, not like ghost pepper spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. Uh, Another another place where um, just general gameplay will slow down is if if the players are having trouble finding a clue or uh, determining which direction to go next. So I know in our skit earlier, like at the start of this, we said about you know you see this you see this road go and it goes north or south, right? And so that's that's pretty easy. There's two choices. Uh, you probably came from the south in that scenario, and to the north is the castle. That's that's easy, um, and so that can kind of help keep players on track. But at the same time, then they can still choose to go out into the forest. Not everything's as easy as you're standing on a road and it goes north, right? right. If they're in the middle of town and they're trying to figure out who killed Bobbles the merchant right and they're trying to figure out who did that and they're just kind of standing in town square they're like well who do we talk to and that can kind of slow everything down so having you know just add in a couple little clues here or there um and you you really want to keep that pacing going as much as it's fun to let them find it themselves i from my perspective i i see it as like super exciting when they find it themselves. The chances of them just flat out finding it themselves, like decreases with time I found because people start to get disheartened. The general mood of the table starts to, to come down. Everybody starts getting frustrated and well, and and given enough time, they, they stop remembering some of the clues that they had. Mm, Yeah. And, and so, 
from from my perspective, one of the things that I like to do if they if they have all the clues they or if they have most of the clues they haven't they haven't missed a significant portion of the clues or whatever they've gotten they've gotten enough information to to potentially solve this mystery if you're doing something like a mystery. I always like to do the recap so so here's what you know and and just read off the things that you know that they know because they've discovered it you provided it that they know. You don't provide any sort of narrative around it. You just basically recap, here's what you know. And I found that that nine out of ten times just doing that makes somebody go, Oh, I forgot about the guy in the abbey with the with the bottle full of poison. Uh, <laughs> um and 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 gets their minds kind of thinking. So I, I think that that if you're if you're stuck in kind of that mystery thing where where they've got enough clues, that's a way that you can help help get unstuck there. You can. It also helps to cuz when when you present it to the players like that, it also will remove any any of these side little little tiny details. I found this happens before when I'm doing, you know, mystery type things and I'm giving these clues and I've got I've give, I give like four big clues. I'm like off in the distance, 100 feet away, you see this giant neon sign with an arrow pointing that says, this is the bad guy. <laughs> and to the left, you see a cactus. And everybody's like, a cactus? And they'll all just like <laughs> focus in on this cactus. And they're like, something must be up with this cactus. And Cactuses aren't native to this area. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, oh, no, I forgot that I told them that this was a temperate zone and uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> And so when you when you just provide it to them as a list, and I, I think it kind of gives the players a second to be like, wait a second, um, cactus was not listed as one of the clues we know. Let's stop putting the cactus at the core center of all of our plans. Right? <laughs> and I think that if if the, if things are stuck because they're missing clues, I think we've talked about this some. You can you can. Um, you can ask for roles. You can you can give them more narrative description of the room that might they might just understand the clue from that. Or you can just flat out give them the clue from an NPC or something like that. Um, don't let missing a clue be the thing that sticks your game because I think that that's that's probably one of the most easily resolve, resolvable ones by just not requiring a role. And say, and when they say, "I want to search the room," go, "Oh, look at this! You found this." <laughs> yeah, good job. Look at that. Uh, no, your passive skill was good enough. Yeah, no, you you got that. Um, that's an easy one to do. And I know that we have mentioned it before, but putting putting something that's absolutely critical to the campaign moving forward in a hard to reach spot where it can put a, bring a full stop to what you're doing is generally not a great idea. You always want to have some way to give that to the players. Yep, even if that is uh, failing forward. Yeah, failing forward. I always love that. You trip, you fall, the board breaks, you find a hidden stash. Meh. All right, Easy. so this 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 next thing that, that's in here, I, I'm going to have to ask about because you have faffing about as a, yeah, as a, as a stuck place. I don't know what that is. Have you, have, do you, the, faffing? You don't know the word faffing? I don't. Oh, um, you know, I've been learning. I don't know that this is one of those words, but I've been learning a surprising amount of words that are like specifically Canadian. Um, faffing about is is uh, messing around, uh, not being focused, 
Um, okay. That, I mean, I, it's what I kind of figured it was. I just wanted yeah. to make sure. It's a fun way to say it. <laughs> Faffing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know where it comes from. It might be British in origin. I was uh, going to say it sounds. It sounds British. It kind of like, sounds British, if doesn't you it? Pr- picture it with a British accent, which I'm not going to try to do on on the podcast. But it uh, it does sound <laughs> like it would come from the British Isles. <laughs> I, I kind of I kind of want you to try it now. No, not going to no, happen. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I tr- I tried. All right. Um, so yeah, if your party's just generally faffing about, which is, I mean, for the most part, um, tomfoolery is part of the process, right? You don't, I, I don't want my party to be like core focused on the campaign at all times, right? And just focusing down the story and chasing it and moving it along. I want them to explore the world, to have some fun, to mess around with the NPCs and kind of see what they can do, try some stuff, have some fun, right? But there is a limit to when you're like, there's, you know, we're going to go back to my neon sign. It's still sitting there. It's still blinking. It's pointing. And and it, the party now knows, because I've read them this stuff, that the cactus <laughs> is not important, right? And they have spent the last two weeks in town playing with this cactus and its cactus friends. And I can't get them to, like do other things because they're they're not actually engaging with any part of the story because they're just having too much fun um, just messing around. And that's fine. It's fine if everybody's having fun. If you're, in, in my opinion, if your entire table is having fun faffing about and you, the, the DMGM, are also purely enjoying it, I really actually don't see a problem with it. Right. Uh, the, the, the goal of the game is to have fun. If everybody's yeah. having fun, then, hey, great. Mission accomplished. And yeah, and it's way less work on the DM side. If your party just wants to run around with a cactus and every like all four, five, six people are just having the time of their lives and and you don't have to write out stat blocks or design maps and encounters, <laughs> that is an easy job if you're having fun too. And so that's great. But sometimes players can take it too far, which um, can kind of be like a fun drag. Especially yeah, when, I, when, yeah, go ahead. And I, I think that you need to, to pay attention to the table because in some of these situations, you'll have four out of the five that are having a blast faffing about. Uh, <laughs> and and that fifth person may go along with it for a little while because they, like this is what we do in the game. And, and then you'll get to that point where we're, you will see through their body language, through how they're talking with the party. They are just done with it. They're ready to move on and get back to the story. And and you'll see it. It'll happen if you're paying attention. So I would say a big thing to do is, is make sure you're paying attention. Because even if you're still having fun and it looks like most of the people are having fun, there could be that one that's just like, I'm done. There could. And I and it's it's something that I've... I have noticed is that it's really easy to get distracted by the loud fun people, right? Cause yep. they're, they're putting out all this noise and all this motion and this, this joviality. And there's just this one player who's, who's being quiet and, and not really, you know, interacting with it. It's, it can get sometimes easy to lose that person in the, the chaos and the excitement that's happening at the table. And you don't really want to leave that person excluded from the fun like they're there to enjoy themselves too yeah 
Um, so I, I think that one thing that might be helpful is uh, back on episode 43, we did an episode on keeping players engaged. And so if if you're really looking at this isn't just a bunch of us having fun and goofing around, and, and it really is, they're just kind of going back and forth and not really engaged with the game, um, take a look at that episode, becomingdm.com slash ep43, and maybe that will help bring focus to the table. Yeah, it, it most certainly can. And if um, if you have one particular player that that might be causing um, everybody to kind of derail constantly, um, that could be something that you might need to look at in in tandem with with all the other things that could come with um, potential player issues that are causing problems at your tables, not just you know happy problems, but other problems as well. We did we did do an episode on on dealing with that. So if that's something that's that's hanging up your campaign, um, you know having some sort of problem player. We did do an episode called I think it's called dealing with problem players. Yep. Well, we didn't. Uh, you did it with uh, Felicia, right? Yeah, that was a long time ago. It was episode thirteen, and and um, I will I will just say the key thing that you will see as the common thread through every type of problem player that you'll see there is everything starts with talking to your player. If you're having a problem, communicate. Make sure that you are are having a discussion to say this is a problem. What's going on? And ideally not doing it in front of the rest of the group, doing it in a one-on-one situation so they're not feeling attacked in front of these people. Ideally, they're not feeling attacked and it's really just a conversation. But um, definitely make sure if you're having those player issues that you're having a conversation to to see what's going on. Because it could be something that that is going on in their personal life and you just need to be aware of it so that you know what's going on and can can like understand it as as these interactions happen. Mhm. Yeah, and and even I know huh, I'm I'm so bad at confrontation. Um and and I'm just going to throw this out there for all the other people like me who are just so bad at confrontation. A well a well written letter <laughs> <laughs> um also also works. Um you just do you have to be a little bit more mindful um because you you can't you can't recant anything that you've physically written down. And you can't convey tone. So you do need to also understand that. that whatever you write down, the person that's reading it is going to impart whatever tone they think you're trying to impart. And it may not line up. Yeah. So um, adding, like, if you're writing this this very serious letter, um, if you buy a pack of emoji stickers before you do this, you can just stick them on as, <laughs> as necessary. <laughs> uh, fun. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's always, um, boo, but, um, you know, when, when our campaigns are getting hung up, you know, there's, we, we got to deal with it before the table collapses, you know? Yep. Um, so that's, that's a lot of like specific stuff that we've kind of talked about so far. Uh, we, obviously we haven't covered everything. It would be impossible to cover everything that could possibly go wrong, um, or that could possibly be hanging you up. Or, or causing discomfort to you or your players. Um, and maybe there, it's something else, right? Something that we didn't cover that's just a part of, of what's happening that's just intrinsically broken and is not 
working and it's not fun. It's or whatever, whatever emotion it's evoking, whatever's causing this, this, whatever issue it is that you're having. Um, just always remember that no matter what might be broken in, in your campaign or your, your adventure, your quest, whatever it is, you can always just change what's happening just yep. because it's, it's something you, you've made this, this, I mean, really, with D&D, it's, it's an arbitrary decision. This is all just group storytelling, role-playing, and it is a game which is intended to be fun. And if, if it stops being fun, you can just change it. Yeah, and I would say that you don't even have to change it in the dark. I mean, we've talked about a lot of ways that you can change it where you don't actually have to tell your players what's going on. But if it, if it really is something that you're concerned about, have that discussion with your players. Tell them, look, I feel like this isn't working out for this storyline. I wanted to get your thoughts, have a little bit of back and forth. If everybody's kind of in agreement, say, I'm just going to, I'm going to retcon this whole thing. We did not have this. You'll still have your experience points and everything like that. But this storyline no longer exists. And in the next session, we're going to start you back off in town XYZ that you've been to before and you'll get the the chance to explore it and potentially find new new storylines that you want to pursue. Mm-hmm. Everybody good with that? Yes? No? All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's important and and I I I got don't don't be afraid to perform emergency surgery on an active but dying campaign, you know? If 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 it's if it's not good and it's bad and everybody knows it's bad then taking any action, even if you're retconning the last three months of gameplay, if you talk with your players and everybody's cool with it, um, I know it sucks, but you have to do something about it. If if you're so so stuck and locked up, if the solution that you're able to find and find with your players is is to 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 do this massive change, then do it right. Don't be afraid of doing it because the at the point what that we're at right now when we're dealing with this stuff, um, it's already not fun. People people aren't having fun. Um, somebody somewhere is is suffering or uncomfortable, and we could just fix it. Yep. You know. So, I think anything else we want to talk about on this subject? Um, I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Hopefully, if your game is stuck, uh, regardless of how it's stuck, this helps you get it unstuck. Uh, Best of luck to you as you move forward with your games, and we'll see you in a couple weeks for our mainline episode, but join us next week for the Becoming DM side quest. So we'll see you then, and until then, stay Stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.